0: Welcome to the Legal Lowdown podcast by Barton Gilman. I am your host, Diane Baudette, and joining me today is education attorney, Matt Plain. Matt's joining me so that we can talk about COVID-19 and extended school year services for the upcoming 2020-2021 school year. Welcome to the podcast, Matt. Thank you for joining me.
1: It's my pleasure, Diana. Thanks for having me.
0: So we can dig right in. I would like to start by asking you right off the bat, for anybody that doesn't happen to know, But what exactly are extended school year services?
1: Sure. Extended school year services are special education related services to eligible students with disabilities beyond the normal, typically 180 day school year. Federal regulations require that states have available extended school year services to students that have a disability that require services beyond the normal school year, so long as it's in accordance with their IEPs, it's at no cost to the parents, and it aligns with the applicable state standards. So students that receive services pursuant to individualized education programs may be eligible for extended school year or ESY services if the IEP team determines that they need such services to prevent regression or learning loss or that they otherwise require school services during what are typically breaks in service from regular school so that they maintain or can have a chance to maintain progress towards their academic and school goals.
0: Okay. This is a question that we will probably get around to, but it just seems to pop up comfortably right now. How have they been handling extended school year services from the last school year, which I'm assuming there was a pretty significant need for given the school closures?
1: So typically, extended school year services or ESY are, if a student requires them, they're already built in to that student's individualized education program. I'll refer to that as an IEP. So prior to mid-March, it's likely that if a student required ESY, it was already in that student's IEP, lots of acronyms. So if somebody requires or if a student requires extended school year services in one year, it's likely that that will be something that's continued throughout their education program. Doesn't always happen. Uh, but it's likely. So backing up just a little bit, as we navigated the nineteen twenty school year in the normal course, pre-COVID, there was likely a number of students from any given local education agency or public school that already had or was planning for extended school year services after the conclusion of the regular school year. So come June, There were families, there were students, there were educators that were planning for an extended school year program uh, for this summer. Okay. So as we know, beginning mid-March across the country, schools for the most part closed uh, for in-person services and most of the states went to some version of virtual distance learning from mid-March to the conclusion of the school year. Though we closed schools for in-person services, certainly throughout this region, that did not relieve local education agencies or public schools from their obligations to maintain services for students with IEPs and 504 plans. I'll get back to that later. But for individualized education programs, students receiving special education related services. And even the United States Department of Education confirmed that that was to be the continued obligation of school districts, and that includes extended school year services. Now, we got into a challenge, the region throughout the country, for this summer because schools were closed for in-person services for the most part through June. So... Extended school year services typically happen across districts, usually a couple weeks after that and extend for a period of time going through July into August. And again, extended school year services are meant to provide services, special education related services to particular students during what would otherwise be a normal break in instruction. So in the American public school system, that's usually... Sometime late May to mid-June when normal instruction ends and picks up again mid to late August or early September. So during that, what would otherwise be a break for a typical school system, that's when extended school year services are typically provided. What a school system can't do with respect to extended school year services is limit them to particular categories of disabilities Uh, They can't unilaterally limit type or the amount or the duration of these services. So though they typically happen from early July to early August, that doesn't mean that a, a district fulfills its obligations with respect to each student so long as it has just that block. Just like all student services or students served pursuant to IEPs, it depends on the student need. So further complicated as the end of this last school year, the 1920 school year, aligned with uh, respective states reopening plans. So around New England, the reopening plans went from phase two to phase three. Uh, And phase three allowed larger groups to convene, allowed certain services to take place. And that happened around end of June, early July. And that's typically when the districts in this region would be providing ESY. When we're in the midst of the distance learning plans from mid-March to the conclusion of the last school year, it's conceivable that each and every district planned, and understandable, that district plans for extended school year services to take place the same way that other services were taking place from mid-March through the end of June, which was through some virtual distance learning. Uh, Obviously understandable if the respective states and the respective departments of education were obligating schools to deliver education in that manner for extended school year services to take place in the same manner. As states opened up, questions arose. If a student's IEP required that they obtain some sort of or have access to some sort of special education or related service and that the way in which to do that is typically in person so now that we can have certain things in person what should happen in esy this year uh, so not an easy question for districts to answer and certainly something that we wouldn't fault a family or a parent for or a guardian for bringing up uh, a good way to address this is for IEP teams to convene and determine what's appropriate and how can we safely deliver services to each student that requires them.
0: Sure. And are the services right now limited? If they're not in person, are they not getting access to the full range of typical services that they might get if they were in person?
1: Depends on the student and depends on the IEP and further Mm -hmm. depends on, obviously, the student's needs. So it's possible that though the student has a particular need and that is satisfied with a particular service, that that can be done remotely and Mm -hmm. through some sort of virtual or digital platform. Um, It's not only possible, it's likely that in many instances that is the case. It may also be the case that in some instances that delivery method is suboptimal.
0: Yeah.
1: And not only suboptimal, but arguably inappropriate. And so we're recommending that districts take a look and that each student is different, each IEP is different. Mm-hmm. So contemplate that in, for each scenario. And, and further, and obviously, hopefully, that when we're contemplating these things, we're balancing the need to provide these services with the need to do everything uh, with respect to public school education in the safest way possible.
0: Sure. So how is eligibility for an ESY determined?
1: That's determined by the IEP team. So the IEP team is comprised of representatives from the school district, from the school, classroom teachers, special educators, uh, and the family, uh, and sometimes other service providers and the team, when they developed the IEP, they would determine whether ESY is necessary for, in order for the student to meet their, their school needs. So it, it doesn't occur in each and every case. The questions around it are rising with frequency right now because the summer is different yeah. in states than it was during the school year. And as we contemplate school reopening and what that's going to look like, folks are starting to question ESY and the delivery methods for the same. Further, there's some state departments of education that have issued uh, informal, in some cases, formal guidance to their public schools about extended school year services, not necessarily how they should be delivered, but how districts should go about contemplating the manner in which those services are delivered. Uh, for instance in Rhode Island on July 16th the commissioner of education issued correspondence to school leaders indicating that in-person services are not per se excluded for extended school year and that districts should convene with respect to each individual education program that contains an extended school year service element in discuss what's best in that, or what's appropriate, rather, in that particular case.
0: Okay. Do you anticipate an uptick in the need for, or the request coming your way from IEP teams for more students needing ESY as a result of last year's closures?
1: Possibly, probably, and I'll add to that, that we expect to see an uptick in requests or contemplation of compensatory education services coming from IEP teams. From March to June, that was a challenging time through no fault, obviously, of these stakeholders or stakeholders in public school education. That was a challenging time. Uh, It's likely that that resulted in learning loss. It's likely that that resulted in regression. And it's likely that, again, through no fault of the folks involved with IEPs, an inability of certain students to appropriately meet or have access to services that meet their needs. So when that doesn't happen in the normal course, typically IEP teams must contemplate compensatory services. And compensatory means just what you think it would mean from the plain language, that making up for it. So providing something above and beyond what would otherwise be required so that you can catch up. So if students didn't have the same type of education that they otherwise would have had from mid-March to mid-June, that's going to create a need for additional contemplation of compensatory services, if that is exacerbated by the challenges associated with the delivery of ESY, then that's going to likely result in additional contemplation of this component, ESY, of an IEP as well.
0: Okay. How do you anticipate um, and how can schools prepare? As we think about going back to school, there's a variety of different ways that Every school district seems to be approaching it in terms of in-person, online, a little bit of both. And then you look at the news and you see, you know, after one day of school, I believe it was in an elementary school in Georgia, you know, a whole class is quarantining already how are you suggesting that schools tackle the issue of schools kind of going in and out of closures potentially? Or when you have students that suddenly need to quarantine for 14 days, how should they be handling the ESY services in those cases?
1: Well, ESY services for, for next year won't take place until the summer of 2021. So I we anticipate that schools and IEP teams and families are going to further discuss ESY that's been delivered or is in the course of delivery right now in the summer of 2020 for a little while and how the effectiveness of that or the degree of effectiveness of that impacts services going into next school year, Mm -hmm. I think it's fairly likely it's going to have an impact. If ESY was less than ideal or optimal for this summer, then it's likely going to affect um, how we think about that's, those student services for next school year. And then we'll have to contemplate it for the next summer, for summer of 2021. Next, planning, I, that's somewhat obvious. And if I were squarely in the middle of planning within a public school district or a family that was planning for, our own child's education, I might say, thanks for nothing, of course, but how do we go about doing that given the various factors involved in all of this? And we don't take that lightly. It's easy enough for us to be on the phone or behind a computer screen and say, you must do this. Uh, we understand that all the stakeholders are contemplating and confronting an enormous amount right now with direction from state agencies, from federal agencies, and from state officials and federal officials. But given the uncertainty of everything, there's only so much direction that we can reasonably expect. So doing as much planning as possible is is best. ESY or regular special education services that are provided throughout the school year, whatever it is, we strongly encourage folks to convene each and every IEP team, even if it's not up for a review, even if it's not that time of year when you'd otherwise look at it, even if certain folks believe that things are progressing the way they should, convene the stakeholders, convene the IEP team members, and contemplate. Various scenarios what could happen and how you plan to address it getting folks on the same page or at least close to the same page uh, Before things unfold in a particular manner would be great. We certainly understand that we're all constrained by time and There's so much to do between now and whatever your school opening date is August 31st or somewhere around there Uh, but these issues are not going to go away And the challenges with students obtaining access to an appropriate education are are just going to come into more refined focus Mm -hmm. in the coming months and years, even if these particular components aren't the, the most immediate pressing issue. They're still going to be there. And the longer we go without addressing them, contemplating them, and documenting that we've done that, the more challenging it's going to get down the road. So easy enough to say that, hard to do it because there's only so many people and there's only so much time. So we can't thank all of the folks involved enough for the willingness to be part of that effort to continue to deliver education, however that's going to be done to public school students or any students for that matter.
0: Yeah. And do you have certain timing when you say try to get the IEP team together to do a review? Are you suggesting that that's the ideal timing for that is before the school year starts or as long as it's kind of in the beginning? Do you have guidance on that?
1: Before the services are going to be delivered, particularly if they're going to be different than what's contemplated in the IEP, you'd have to get the IEP team together. For ESY, it's not too late, even though we're in the midst of extended school year services as we speak on August 6th, right? Um, Yep. (laughs) (laughs) It's not too late, even if they're still going on. To, to have that conversation. You know. Again, we're required to have these conversations if things are going to look different uh, before they actually happen. But just because we passed that date doesn't mean the opportunity doesn't still exist to get all the IEP team members into a virtual room to contemplate how we should either continue doing things, uh, make up for the fact that we couldn't do things a particular way, and, and plan for the future. So as soon as possible.
0: How are parents involved in the IEP process and you know to what extent?
1: Parents and guardians are members of the IEP team. So a parent or guardian would participate in putting together the elements of an IEP, including, if appropriate, extended school year services. Okay. So like any component of an IEP, if there was an issue, certainly a parent, uh, could raise that issue and request an IEP review meeting. It doesn't necessarily have to come from the actual school or the district. The request can come from the parent. And parents are part of putting this together, and so parents should be apprised of the challenges, the factors, the elements that we have to contemplate before we pen and then implement certain provisions.
0: Do you have any additional guidance for stakeholders as we begin the next school year?
1: Yes. Convene your IEP teams. Schools, before you do this, obtain legal guidance regarding the appropriate parameters for implementation of IEPs going forward. For all stakeholders, don't make assumptions. Participate in the discussions. Obtain the information that you can with respect to a particular IEP. And make decisions aligned with the guidance that you have from your district leaders, from your legal support, and proceed from there.
0: Thank you for joining me today, Matt. This has been very helpful. Um, If anybody is interested in more education information, uh, especially around COVID, please visit our website at www.bglaw.com where you can find plenty of blogs, podcasts, and even a video or two. Um, And if you'd like to look up information about Matt, you can also find him on our website under the attorney listing. Uh, Matt, thanks for joining me today. I appreciate you taking the time.
1: It was my pleasure. Thanks for having me. The content provided in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to constitute legal advice or to form an attorney-client relationship. If you would like to seek legal advice from a Barton Gilman attorney, please visit us at www.bglaw.com or call 888 888- for more information.
0: Barton Gilman serves clients throughout the Northeast with offices in Boston, Providence, and New York, offering legal services in a wide variety of matters, including medical and other professional liability defense, premises liability and business litigation, education law, employment, family law, insurance coverage, trust and estates, criminal defense, corporate formation, and intellectual property. The firm and its attorneys have received numerous awards and accolades, including Best Lawyers, Best Law Firms, Best Places to Work Rhode Island, Outstanding Philanthropic Business, The Common Good Award, and Super Lawyers. For more information about Barton Gilman, please visit our website at www.bglaw.com or call us toll-free at 888-273-9903.